But I think that it's going to be a painful lesson learned that maybe 10 years from now, when we're looking back at this from 2030, that we will say, thank goodness, this showed flaws in our economic system. This showed flaws in our relationship, the way we work. Welcome to the Show Me Futures podcast series from the University of Missouri Office of Student Engagement. My name is Hope Davis, and I'll be introducing our panelists today to discuss the COVID-19 crisis and the future in economics. Leading our discussion, we have Professor Marty Steffens, a former newspaper editor in the Endowed Chair of Business Journalism at the University of Missouri. She's conducted workshops for professional journalists around the world, and she's the co-author of a book on how to cover the economic effects of disaster. We have special guests joining us today, including Dr. Eric Parsons, an assistant teaching professor of economics at MU and the department's director of undergraduate studies. His research focuses on school and teaching quality, value-added modeling, and the performance of high-achieving students. We also have Van Hoxby, who has an MBA and founded Dogmaster Distillery, a local Columbia business in 2014. Hoxby and Dogmaster now produce hand sanitizer. I'm going to toss to Professor Steffens, but first, I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Hope. Well, certainly uh, you're joining us on a day that is really uh, a, a very auspicious one. Uh, first, uh, the SBA is opening the second round of loans to small businesses. And we're also passing a very grim milestone in the United States with uh, more than 50,000 uh, who have died with the coronavirus. But for many who are dealing with this pandemic, it's going to be the economic fallout that's going to last for a long time. Certainly for communities like Columbia, Missouri, and a lot of Missouri, the economic calamity is something that's going to be very difficult to recover from. Uh, Communities all around the nation are starting to reopen or think about reopening as we start to climb out of what has been a extremely deep recession. Certainly all of our numbers um, in terms of economics are looking extremely grim. So we're gonna start with a little bit about recovery, how we come back from this, how are laid off people able to rebuild their lives? Uh, What will the future look like in terms of our businesses? So we're going to talk, start with you, Dr. Parsons, a little bit about what it's going to look like in terms of an economy going forward. So talk a little bit about all of us getting back to work. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it's one, as always, you know, the kind of predicting what's going to happen in the future is, is fraught with difficulties. And it's always hard to say 100%. You know, I think our general hope is that once the kind of stay-at-home orders and the social distancing are passed, the economy can kind of kick back off and, you know, start start moving again like it was before. Um, but it's probably not going to be um, quite as smooth as we, we would like it to be for a variety of reasons. Um, if you think on the business side, when we restart, businesses are going to have a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, and so anytime there's uncertainty, that makes, it, makes them hesitant to start hiring and, and, and expanding operations and things. They're, they're trying to get back to normal in this case. Another issue, obviously, businesses have been taking heavy losses over the past you know, month or two. Odds are they're going to want to kind of keep things lean and trimmed to, to save costs early on to kind of make up for those losses moving forward, at least for a while. So that's on the business side. On the worker side, the, the longer that workers are detached from the workforce, 
they lose um, our fancy economic term is they lose their human capital, right? They lose those skills. So the longer that they are out of the workforce, those human capital skills depreciate and it makes it harder for them to get back in um, and get going, um, you know, earning the same wages that they were before. So there's a, a variety of reasons why we think that the reemployment, the return to work may not just kick off as smoothly as we might hope for it to. Um, and obviously the longer that the kind of stay at home orders and such last, the, the harder it is to, to kick, get kick started again. Well, that certainly makes sense. Van Hawksby, you started a business a few years ago in Columbia, Missouri, uh, Dogmaster, and we know that you're close. You, you, part of your business is able to operate, but talk a little bit about what this has been like for you. It's been very surreal uh, in uh, that we have had to completely refocus our production operations and our, foc- our sales operations as well. Uh, I simply tell people that we took a step to the left and plugged ahead. And what we have done is we have utilized some of the products that we make uh, and and have access to, and we have refocused our production from a distillery making whiskey and bourbon to one that is making hand sanitizer. Uh, it's, It's something that is needed in the community. And because we are small, a small business, because we can be flexible, uh, it was just something that we were able to do. So I, I tell people also that we were unfortunately fortunate that we had something to fall back on and just kind of stumbled into. It's been good for us, but there are other people in the industry or in the, in the community who are not as lucky. Van, tell me a little bit about your employment situation. Have you had to lay people off? How many people work for you? Give oh, yeah. a little bit drilled down in terms of your particular, your industry, uh, what Dogmaster Distillery. So our, our, our particular business, we have uh, a, a workforce of, of part-time workers. They are uh, people who work for us as bartenders, and we have a couple of people who are working in our production space. And what we have done, because we're not able to serve cocktails, or we're not until just recently, we have shifted our uh, local sales to the hand sanitizer. And we have our bar staff come in, and we provide them with uh, things to sell across the bar as sanitizers. Uh, our production team has moved from making the, the whiskeys and the bourbons to creating this hand sanitizer product. So... We've, we've been able, luckily, we've been able to keep our people engaged and employed. Well, there is a saying uh, in economics that you should never waste a crisis. And it's clear that you've kind of followed that advice, which is you've sort of looked at a crisis situation to see what you could do to profit from this or to at least get by. Yeah, we uh, being an Oklahoma farm boy, we have another term for that, but it's not appropriate for your podcast. <laughs> I certainly understand that. Um, certainly, we are looking at a situation where uh, it is uh, going to change the way we do business. So we're going to probably have this as a theme of this conversation. So besides changing your product line, what other sorts of things are you going to take away from this crisis in terms of how you do business going forward? Uh, Eric, uh, I'm going to kind of let you start off with this conversation, how we might want to, you, you mentioned briefly how there's going to be a reticence of small businesses in particular to do business as they did before. 
we all we know that economic pain causes long-term change. A term that's kind of become popular in recent years, but I think it's going to become even more so after we, we return um, from the pandemic, is this idea of anti-fragility, being able to to deal with unexpected shocks and keep the system going. And so kind of talking about a, a large business here, but I think like a great example of this is given by Netflix. So um, Netflix actually created this program that they call Chaos Monkey. And this, this program, Chaos Monkey, what it does is it, it's constantly shutting down servers at random for Netflix. Um, and the purpose of that is to teach the system to be robust and not be fragile so that if a, if a server goes down, they can find ways around that. And then last, I think, I believe it was last fall, there was a very large outage of service in the Northeast of the United States. And many very big companies actually were hit hard by this. They were, you know, their websites were down for days, if not, you know, over a week, they lost data. And Netflix largely went on um, like nothing had happened, right? Because they'd been purposefully stress testing their systems all along. Um, and I, you know, I think we'll see a lot of that moving forward um, in, in industry broadly. You know, it's interesting because in economics, obviously, our standard models, we talk very strongly about the benefits of specialization and trade. And that is certainly true. But obviously, like our basic models often don't capture huge shocks like this where those those kind of supply lines have been cut. And so I would expect, you know, there's going to be this this movement towards having robust supply chains, I expect probably some repatriation of, of kind of outsourcing back to the United States to kind of, um, in case, you know, international supply chains are broken, you can still get things um, closer to home. And how can we be anti-fragile? How can we set up our systems to, to respond to, to various shocks? Well, certainly we know that business interruption is the number one thing that sinks businesses. And so, um, business interruption can happen in all sorts of ways, whether it be a flood or, you know, in this particular case, a stay-at-home order. Um, but you're right. Uh, this is really going to kind of force businesses to have a certain kind of resiliency. But let's stay on the topic for a minute of supply chain. And I want kind of Van to talk a little bit about his supply chain, uh, how he sees getting things in the door for what he needs to do, or uh, even perhaps perishables, other sorts of things that relate to the fact that for the first time in a long time in American history, we're having serious supply chain interruptions. Yeah, I, I can speak to my industry and my products. For the most part, I'm using agricultural products that are not consumable to humans in their original form. And those are readily available and will always be readily available to me. As far as the grains that I use, uh, I'm actually able to process them here myself. So that's that's really not a big issue for me as far as the supply chain and raw materials. What I see in, in other industries, you know, I was just reading something earlier today to prepare myself, and it was that we have all of these uh, food processing plants having some issues, which is basically what I am. I'm a food processing plant. I take a raw material and create something usable out of it. Well, you have these processing plants that are being shut down because of this virus that I think we need to be concerned with. And I'm not sure how people are going to be dealing with that in the future. Uh, it's definitely something that is going to need to be addressed and how we're going to take care of our population. Um, my general 
feeling is that we're going to be more self-sufficient and maybe doing a little bit more of our own, you know, sourcing of, of uh, food products. Well, certainly changing the way we get global supplies now, which is, you're right, we have a lot of specialization. And so, uh, but we've also depended upon a, an amazing uh, logistics system to get us uh, fruit and vegetables from South America or Asia, um, raw materials from China. So it's really sort of an interesting thing that's going to change forever. Dr. Parsons, tell me a little bit about uh, what you see down the road in terms of, of, or in other words, expand a little bit on how we might see the global supply chain change. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting balance that we have to meet, essentially, because the, the benefits of specialization and trade are there and they are real and they are extremely powerful. Um, and so much of the, the growth and the wealth of products and things that we, we consume and experience are integrally tied into these kind of global supply chains in ways that I don't even think most of us fully understand. Um, you know, so many of the products have at least some link in the chain that's coming from another country and multiple links in the chain. And so there are, there are these huge benefits to be derived from specialization and trade. But obviously, when there's a huge shock on the system like this, it kind of it highlights the weak points. My, my feeling, I do agree, I think we're going to see more, um, as Van mentioned, kind of producing probably more things um, in the U.S., um, more home production and that, those types of asset aspects. But there is, there, once again, there is that balance that has to be made because we don't want to give up the benefits that we get from that international trade. I think we'll see multiple sourcing in a lot of ways. In fact, you know, instead of we're getting all of, our all of this certain component from a single factory in China, have multiple factories, some in China, some in other countries that are going to be providing that component. So if one of them goes down, other ones can, can kind of ramp back up. Businesses are going to constantly be having to kind of evaluate the efficiency of the specialization and trade versus the ability to deal with shocks. You know, you can't ignore the political components here as well. Um, I think there's going to be strong kind of political pressure for firms to, um, you know, insource, so to speak. Um, and so I think you're, you, there's going to, there's definitely going to be movement towards that. I guess in, in my, as an economist, I want us to make sure we don't kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and go um, extremely far down a protectionist path um, because that's not a way for growth um, and improving lives and standards of living either. Speaking of balance, I kind of want to pivot a little bit to the economic stimulus uh, plan that is going into effect uh, continuing to go into effect this week. Um, certainly, we've seen um, a lot of billions being put in to prop up American small business and make sure that payrolls continue through the Payroll Protection Act. So is it enough? Uh, do we need more? Uh, what is the best way for businesses to rebound a little bit? Van Hawksby, talk a little bit about whether or not it's something that you have applied for uh, through your channels to to uh, deal with our payroll protection programs. Yes, we have. Yeah, we we have. We're going to apply for that, and just to see where it goes. I think we're in process of doing that today, as a matter of fact. And what that's going to do for us is that's going to give us the ability to comfortably pay our utility bills, to pay our rent, to uh, make sure that my employees who you know have had their hours cut and may not be making as as much as they were before that they're able to take care of their bills and their rent as well. Now, whether it's enough, you know, that's, I, I don't know. Because 
do people have sources for other funds? Uh, is the federal government able to give us more money? I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, there's just so many, so many variables, so many things to think about that I don't know if, if I can say, yes, this is going to be plenty, this is going to help us through this, or, you know, it's just not even a drop in the bucket. Well, certainly you'd, you're not quite sure how your own business is going to rebound, because I'm sure you're not making the kind of money on hand sanitizer that you made uh, on your other products. You know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. Uh, I keep going back to the phrase, we're uh, unfortunately fortunate. So, I mean, I, I feel comfortable we'll be able to rebound. And one of the really interesting things is the intangible that we've created being part of a small community and being a helper in that small community is just the goodwill that, uh, that we have been able to generate by showing that we want to be a good uh, community partner. So I think that that for us will pay dividends in the long run that a lot of other businesses, they just they won't be able to capitalize on it. Now that makes a lot of sense. Dr. Parsons, talk a little bit about this, this unprecedented um, $660 billion in stimulus uh, that is going to be pumped into the American economy. So like you said, it's unprecedented, um, but I guess we're, we are in unprecedented times. So unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. I guess I think that there's a lot of good um, in the stimulus bill. It has a lot of, of positive points. It, it's interesting. I've been reading about you know how the U.S. traditionally has dealt with kind of the employment side of economic downturns is through unemployment insurance. If people lose their jobs, they get the benefit, the unemployment benefits from the government, and lots of other countries do do something similar. What I thought was interesting is I've recently learned how in Germany they have this very old tradition; it dates back over 100 years. Um, that they're for, they have something like unemployment insurance as well, but their first line defense is to try to keep workers connected to employment. And so what will often happen in economic downturn, downturn is the workers will take on fewer hours um, and, and get like a little bit of a, a pay cut, but a big, a big part of their paycheck will be subsidized by the government to kind of keep them employed. Um, and, and I think, you know, we have with the, the Paycheck Protection Plan, we have kind of like the beginnings of that type of system here. There's many, there are many reasons why I like that um, as a labor economist. Of, of keeping the workers connected to the workforce for the reasons um, we mentioned earlier about the longer workers are out of the workforce, the harder it is for them to get back in. And so, you know, in some ways, a movement towards that type of system in the long run um, might be beneficial to the U.S. economy. Um, and I think, you know, the loans to businesses are important. You know, in many cases, the small businesses were perfectly good and perfectly healthy, um, and they're suffering through no fault of their own. They're just that customers can't come out right now. And so if we can provide bridge funding and loan forgiveness, like short-term loan forgiveness and things like that for small businesses to keep them keep them going as, as much as possible right now so that they, they still exist once the, the stay-at-home orders end, that will do a lot to kind of get that economy recovering. If those businesses are still there, they are there to hire workers once we, people can start going out again. So I think all the things that the government has done have been beneficial on the consumer side, obviously, um, people getting the checks because that keeps people buying and which keeps money circulating the economy as well. So most of it has been good. As far as whether it's enough, my feeling is it will depend on, I guess, how long um, this situation lasts. I think we will need more because, you know, it's going to take a while to get things going again. But it's hard to say because, once again, we are there's so much uncertainty right now about when can when can the stay-at-home orders end in the fall? 
will they will we have to kind of come back to this type of situation you know when cold and flu season starts up you know next fall and winter um, there's just so much uncertainty and my, my general assessment is we'll probably need more of these type of, of stimulus funds um, to, to keep things keep things going as well as we can Ben, I know you're kind of tied into other small businesses here in, in Columbia. I know you talk to other owners of other, other businesses. What, if, what are you hearing in terms of, of them applying for stimulus, how they're surviving? Um, what do you know? Uh, most people that I have talked to, small business-wise, are applying for this stimulus money. Uh, one of the things that I that I do in the community is I serve on the, the district board, the downtown district, which represents a lot of small businesses. And, you know, looking at, you know, what's going on downtown, uh, you know, there may be, you know, 15, 20% of these businesses that were viable and, and thriving before this, that once this is over are not going to be with us anymore. Um, so I, I know of you know already half a dozen businesses around town, small businesses that have already indicated they're, they're going to be shutting their doors. They aren't going to make it through this. So it's 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 very bleak for some people. Oh, absolutely. I can I can agree with that. My daughter helps manage Dance Arts of Columbia, the dance studio that's somewhat around the corner from your business van. And yes. um, she was able to revamp all of their billing systems in the past year, uh, which created a surplus. If she had not done that, they would not have been able to weather this storm. Yeah. Oh, wow. So. And, and, and I think going forward, that's what people are going to need to do. They're going to need to squirrel some money away uh, or some resources away so that when these difficult times do hit us, that we have something to fall back on. Uh, again, these are unprecedented times. You know, we get hit, you know, here in Missouri, we get hit by floods, um, which will shut, you know, places down for a, a good amount of time. But that's just localized. You know, this is such so broad and so sweeping that we just haven't seen this. We don't know what's going on or what's going to happen. Van, a lot of towns like Columbia have what they call moments. And I know uh, in Columbia, there are moments that really make your year. Fortunately for our city, we had a chance to get the True False Film Festival in uh, before the lockdown occurred. But you won't have graduation. Uh, you didn't have uh, St. Patrick's Day. So how many of these milestones are, you know, not having these major um, retail events, if we, if you will, um, so talk a little bit about the, you know, what that's going to mean as a lockdown or as this ability not to to resume business as usual is going to play out. Well, yeah, you know, Columbia is a, a college town and the community relies heavily on that. And we have these moments uh, in the fall, most every weekend where we, everybody comes in for a football game or something like that. And. Uh, I know that the downtown, because it has it is such a, a vibrant little space as well, tries to capitalize on that. So without these moments, uh, it, it will be very detrimental to to the businesses downtown. And then, you know, how do we recapture that? Uh, it's going to be a very, very challenging. So let's kind of refocus this conversation as one on business cycles. And so uh, Dr. Person is going to have you weigh in on this a little bit. 
every business has a business cycle. Well, obviously, if you get a downturn or a business interruption at a time when you really depend upon, you know, so uh, it's going to be very crucial. So for the city of Columbia, retail establishments, dining and the like, even hotels, it is football games in the fall. So how devastating is it to have a a major event like this hit you at your most vulnerable time, which is the time when you would make the majority of your income revenue? No, I think that's a, a huge um, issue that we have looking forward. And I think it kind of highlights the point that even if stay-at-home orders end, we're not out of the woods yet by any means, right? You know, even if if stay-at-home orders end, end in the next month or two, what's likely to be the business situation and just kind of the community situation in Colombia and throughout the U.S. and throughout the world over the next, you know, 12, 18 months is going to be very different than what we would normally expect. You know, I think it's very, it seems very possible that there won't be a football season, um, you know, this fall, or, you know, it might get pushed to the spring. Um, it might some, you know, some professional sports leagues are talking about behind closed doors and things like that, but obviously that doesn't generate the revenue and the foot traffic that we expect of a football season. So, you know, I think that is a huge part of the Columbia economy and it's going to be, once again, the pain from the, this COVID outbreak is going to extend well beyond just kind of the current situation. Even if, which I don't expect this at all, but even if restrictions were fully loosened, if, if people don't feel comfortable going out, that's going to reduce um, traffic and reduce business. You know, people might not feel comfortable going out to a restaurant, even if they are technically allowed to. They may not feel comfortable going to a football a football game with a big crowd, even if it was legally allowed. Um, and so all of those things are going to have long-run impacts um, that are going to continue to be felt um, for, for months, um, likely well into 2021, um, would be my guess. Well, let's kind of refocus uh, for a question about this particular epidemic. This recession that we're having falls in a different time uh, from the 2008 recession. For one thing, we have a lot more ability to work remotely. And while you may not be able to distill liquor remotely, um, it certainly changed the way we work and do business. Uh, Eric, would you talk a little bit about how the work situation has changed due to the fact that we now are doing things uh, via the internet and computer? Uh, where we weren't able to do that quite as robustly back in the last recession? No, I think that's a good point. And I think it it definitely is as, as bad as things are. Um, the ability that many workers have to work remotely is, has helped a lot. You know, as you mentioned, if this was back in, you know, 2008 or even before that, um, we'd be in a much more difficult situation with a uh, large group of workers who are largely able to kind of continue working, making income now who would not have been able to do so um, in prior times. So that's definitely, you know, one slight benefit of this occurring um, in the day and age that it it has. Moving forward, you know, I think it will depend. My impression talking to to a variety of people and including myself is I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of working at home. <laughs> I think uh, many of us will be happy to kind of go back to the workplace. Some people like it though. And I think that there might well be a shift um, that some workers are allowed to kind of work remotely, work at home more um, because they've shown that they can do it. And you know, it's been forced on organizations. It might be more accepted moving forward. So it'll, it'll I likely see kind of some shift in business emphasis allowing workers to work remotely in instances where it's possible. And so um, in general, I'd say productivity is probably less at home. So I think a lot of people will, will want to go back. 
let's talk a little bit about a more serious topic, which is this recession is particularly hard on lower socioeconomic groups. And that has fallen along racial lines, particularly African-American groups. Um, how are we going to be able to recover uh, and pull those workers back up? It's, it's certainly been an unequal uh, disaster for a lot of our workers. You know, I think it's it's interesting. I, there's definitely, it's there's been a, a disparate impact. There's no doubt. Um, as you mentioned, the African-American community has been hit um, quite hard, hard by this. Um, you know, in some ways, though, it, it, like the, the breakdown hasn't been as, as quite as um, class based as we might typically think of something like this, in that, you know, right now there's kind of you can categorize workers in three categories, the essentials, the non-essentials, and the people who can work from, from home, right? And what's interesting is a lot of those a lot of the workers in that essential category might well be low-wage workers. Um, and so to some extent, some of the people in that category have been able to, to keep working. There's actually been some movement towards trying to give them um, hazard pay, what we would call an economics compensating differentials, like higher pay because they're working in more um, difficult and dangerous environments. Obviously, that's somewhat offset by the fact that there's a lot of people unemployed now. Um, so you might see kind of um, an increase in labor supply, an increase in workers wanting jobs in those industries because those are the, the jobs that are available. So it, it's kind of been like an, an interesting way that it's broken down. As far as helping those communities out, I think it's the, to some extent, it's the, the same things that we need to do just to get the economy going again and keep it running as well as, as can be and to kind of get it ramped back up again once the stay-at-home order's in, to kind of get those jobs back going, get people back to work. And then obviously there's some, you know, specific interventions that could, that could be targeted at specific groups, you know, more funding for certain groups, more funding for certain areas that are hit more harshly, kind of providing more of those bridges and a variety of other things along those lines. There could be targeted interventions to help certain communities along with the broader um, policies necessary to get the economy up and running again. What do you think this will teach the American people, um, individuals like all of us, about how they should prepare for future uh, disasters like this? How, what kind of reaction do you think uh, the, the individual Americans going to have to this experience? Uh, Van, talk a little bit about how you personally or you and your family or your business partners, you know, the conversations that you've had perhaps about how going forward, how, how you're going to change your own personal finances or your own personal financial habits. Yeah, again, it will be scrolling some money away, putting something away for a rainy day, something that my dad taught me that I didn't necessarily listen to years and years ago. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be looking at something like that. I, and I don't know if this is even a thing right now, but I'm sure there is some you know, business interruption insurance policies that are out there that may or may not take into consideration interruptions such as this, but that might be something that we look at as well. And then just being able to, to have alternative sources of income. You know, we've put all of our eggs in one basket with the spirits that we have here, and that's all that we do. And we just, again luckily fell into this hand sanitizer that can help us pay our bills. So I think we'll be looking at maybe diversifying our portfolio and doing other things as well. So when a downturn like this or uh, an instance such as this occurs, we will be in a much better position to uh, come out of it. Dr. Parsons, what do you think the average American is going to take away from this particular experience? 
So I, I just want to follow on with what, what Van said. I think one thing we're likely going to see is kind of an increase in savings. Um, if you look back at the generation that, that lived through the Great Depression, that was kind of a, a hallmark that you often saw of people from that generation is they, they tended to be pretty frugal. They tended to save more. Um, and so I would, I would certainly expect to see kind of at least a, a moderate shift in that direction. And I also, I think it was very interesting, Van mentioned kind of diversifying the products there. That kind of falls under, once again, that anti-fragility. How can we diversify so that all of our eggs aren't in one basket? And so when we have a shock in one area, we can keep going in the other. In the Show Me Futures podcast series, we are somewhat focusing on Missouri as, as well as the country, but Missouri foremost. Um, Eric, comment a little bit about Missouri. Are, do you think we're faring about average, better than average, in terms of a nationwide response economically to this crisis? You know, economically, I'd say, you know, we're about average, I would would say is kind of our economic responses because we've, we've largely shut down like everyone else. It does seem like from the, the pandemic side, we've been faring pretty well. Um, we haven't been hit at quite as hard by the disease as some other places, which might allow us to think we, we can recover a bit faster than other places, um, perhaps. Van Hawksby, I know you talk to people around the country. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you feel in comparison uh, being here in Missouri to people that you know in other parts of the U.S. Well, I, I think that we're, we're doing okay. And one of the things that I think uh, when I look at where we're set up geographically uh, here in Columbia, just because I know that this particular community likes to support its own, they'll come back with you know, huge support for people in all different industries, whether it is restaurant or, or whatever. Um, I kind of want to close today, kind of reflective, if you will, thinking about how this particular experience um, will leave the economy and, ha- and, ha- and its effect on a national economy, on a local economy. And I'm going to let you respond to this question quite broadly. You can talk about the future of the worker. You can talk about um, other kinds of resiliencies that we've already talked about. But if there's something that you would like to leave listeners with in terms of how you see us moving forward from this experience and and as I said before, taking advantage or not wasting a crisis and sort of changing the way that we look at the economy or changing the way we do business. I'll, I'll go first to you, Dr. Parsons, to talk a little bit about what you see moving forward. So another aspect that I think we would, would expect kind of how will people adjust moving forward, and I, this could lead to you know broader um, aspects in the labor force, is just... Uh, a kind of refocus on the types of jobs and training that people are interested in having, right? And so, you know, uh, this has highlighted that certain types of positions are going to be, certain types of jobs are going to be more resilient jobs where you can work remotely, um, skills that allow you to do so. Um, having kind of that human capital, that training that allows you to be kind of quick and nimble and move from one thing to another um, and, and shift industries as need to. So I think you might see kind of a, a shift in how people view the types of jobs and training um, that they want to want to seek out, um, and then they might go for. Um, another thing I think that's you know a sign for possible hope, you know, moving forward is this is a very interesting and once again to use to overuse our term here, right? Unprecedented, um, and the fact that this recession was actually purposeful in a sense, right? Like every other recession, 
you know, it wasn't planned here. The economy was going well. And then because we've purposefully stopped the economy to try to deal with this larger threat. So that might lead, um, you know, to some hope that since it was purposeful, hopefully it can get up and running more quickly um, than, than it might have of before. So I think those are kind of some important points. And one last thing I want to point out is, you know, we've talked about the supply chain and there have been hiccups and, um, and I definitely think there's going to be a reimagining of and kind of a rebalancing of how we supply our goods. In some ways, if you think about the bro how broad this shutdown has been, I actually think in a lot of ways our supply chains have been amazingly resilient. Um, at least here in Columbia, you know, there was there were the hiccups with toilet paper there for, you know, a, a week or so, right? But we've largely been able to keep, and I think, you know, here in Missouri, we are functioning maybe a bit better on some of those things in other parts of the country that have been, been hit worse. But for the large part, uh, as consumers, we're, we're still able to get those things that we want and that we need. Um, we're maybe getting them in different ways, you know, online ordering. Um, obviously, the, the experience of going to a grocery store is very different now than it used to be. But considering how broad the shutdown has been, I think it's a, we should take a, a moment to just kind of pause and marvel like that we're getting things as well as we are. The bad moments got highlighted. And obviously, those are going to be places where we want to focus and, and improve and fix. But in broad strokes, it's been, I've been very impressed and amazed with how well things have continued to kind of move, move along, considering how broad the shutdown has been. Van, what cha long-term changes do you see coming for us as a result of this very painful experience? Uh, I think it's going to be people looking for other revenue streams so that when one goes down, they have something else to fall back on. You know, this is one of the questions that was provided prior to this this uh, podcast. I was trying to think of how can I put a, a positive spin or an optimistic spin on this, and I, I couldn't. This is going to be bad uh, the way I see it. People are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their businesses. Um, it's, it's not going to be an, an easy time for us. So I, I think that much like during the, the, the Great Depression, people are going to come out of this with a new perspective and plan more for the future as opposed to the immediate. Well, I certainly agree with you that people are going to come out of this experience um, with some really interesting and profound changes to their lives. I had parents who grew up during the Great Depression um, and in my life, I've experienced a lot of downturn and upturn. And I certainly think uh, as an observer of the, of the economy that there's going to be a lot of significant changes. So we're going to think about remote working. We're going to think about how we might improve worker conditions, uh, particularly for those people in vulnerable industries like restaurants uh, and tourism. Um, but I think also we're going to really come away with this with a, a self-reliance, a self-reliance, a resiliency, a ways to make sure that we don't have this happen to us again, that we don't have the pain that a lot of people are going to feel for a very long time uh, because of this economic downturn. So I'd like to put a positive spin on it, um, but I think that it's going to be a painful lesson learned that maybe 10 years from now, when we're looking back at this from 2030, that we will say, thank goodness, this showed flaws in our economic system. This showed flaws in our relationship, the way we work, uh, and that we shored that up and, and made improvements. 
Um, certainly, uh, this is not something that generations like our, our host, Hope Davis, who's a freshman at the University of Missouri, is ever going to forget in her life um, in her freshman year of college. Um, so I really want to leave all of you with uh, the idea that um, this isn't over yet. Uh, we certainly have not even written the second chapter on this particular era of our lives. So I want to thank Eric Parsons of the University of Missouri Department of Economics and Van Hoxby of Dogmaster Distilleries for being our panelists today. In behalf of Show Me Futures podcast, I want to thank Hope Davis and all of the other students who have worked so hard to pull this together. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Futures podcast series. This podcast is produced by students in partnership with the University of Missouri Office of Student Engagement. Our editing is done by Hope Davis and James Kim, and the music is by DJ Williams. We'd like to say thank you again to our panelists for their time and insights. If you'd like to see more from them, you can check out the links in our description. Wherever you're listening, we hope you stay safe and healthy. Thank you.